Merry Christmas, my friends. I love celebrating Christmas with all of you at our Bowingbrook campus, everybody at the 95th Street campus, all of you at Wheaton and at Hobson. Christmas season, you know, for pastors, whoo, this is the big time, the, the excitement, the adrenaline. Uh, Friday night, my wife and I hosted a, a Christmas party for the elder board of, of our church, and my wife wanted to value them by everything being perfect. The house had to be perfect. The table had to be perfect, you know, just decorated and just looking great. The food had to be perfect. And then she said, Jeff, you and I are going to serve them. And so I had to hold the huge pan of lasagna. You see it coming, don't you? Yeah, I'm, uh, actually, I did okay. It was my wife. She was scooping out a huge piece. One of the elders in our church, Mike DeSanto, just a fantastic guy. Some of you may know Mike. And he was just salivating, so excited to get this huge slice of lasagna. My wife was going towards his plate. How she missed, I don't know. But it went over and right into his lap. I saw it in slow motion, you know, loaded with sauce on top. It did a half turn and just boom, you know. That's a memorable party for you right there, huh? Christmas season is just, not only do we have Christmas parties, but for for the church life, man, it's huge. Do you realize that Christmas Eve services are a record attendance time for us? More people come to a Christmas Eve service than almost any other time of the year, Easter being the one exception. And so that provides a a golden opportunity for you to invite people. Folks who don't go to church will go to church for Christmas. It just seems right. And so can I extend the challenge again? We've got these uh, thrill of hope. That's what I'll be preaching on, little invitation cards that you can say, hey, Don't know if you were interested in going to church this Christmas, but you're invited to ours. And it's a bit confusing, so I want to take a moment just to clarify. I'm almost confused. You know, like, what what am I, when am I preaching? So the first Christmas Eve service is actually this Thursday at our Hobson campus only. But uh, again, we're one church, so all of you are invited. The idea of this one is if anyone's going out of town and won't actually be around uh, at Christmas Eve, we wanted to make this Christmas Eve service available to all campuses come to Hobson Thursday night. Uh, and then uh, my, my brother is actually going to be preaching next weekend, the final week in this five-week series called Midnight Clear. And so I have a crazy brother and a very gifted communicator, and so if you haven't heard him, you're going to want to be here for that. And then on Sunday night and Monday, I will be back doing the Christmas Eve services, uh, the, th- the thrill of hope. And so... Really big, big week when it comes to people coming, attendance records, and giving records. Did you know that the end of the year is by far the greatest season of outpouring of generosity to churches in general, and our church in particular? Uh, We enjoy so many of you who look at your uh, giving records for the calendar year and say, you know what, in the season of generosity, I love Jesus Christ and his church and want to give. And thank you. Truthfully, our ministry can only be fully funded, healthy, and effective based on year-end giving. We depend on uh, an outpouring of generosity. So to all of you who get it, 
who realize that your one life can be invested eternally in so many ways, one of them financially. For those of you who get it, I just want to say on behalf of God and his church, thank you. God is using you in more ways than you know. And these are exciting times. So with that said, I do want to dive into this week four. This week four is called Go and See. And I want to start, I'm jumping all over holiday-wise, but I want to start with Halloween. Believe it or not, it was just a little over a month ago that we, the Griffin family, did our annual tradition of carving a pumpkin. My kids love, this is my daughter Janae and my son Jake, they love pumpkin carving. No, they love watching pumpkin carving. To, to be clear, they want no part of doing it. I try every year. I, I open up the top of the pumpkin and I invite, like my son, you know, it's like a manly, put your hand in the pumpkin, Jake. No, it's gross. It's dark and scary. You know, I'm like, ah. And so I do it. I have to reach in there and they... They get secondhand experience. Here, let me put up the next slide. I'm the first-hand experience of pumpkin carving. They have secondhand experience. What I mean by that is that they listen to me describe what. What's it like in there, Dad? Well, it's cold, and it's wet, and it's slimy. And the more I try to grab the pulp, the more it just slithers between my fingers. Really? Yeah. And as I try to pull it out, these stringy things kind of slide around my knuckles. And, you know, they're all trying to live it in. But they're only secondhand experiencers of the carving. Did you know that with faith, it's the same way? There's firsthand faith and secondhand faith? For a lot of people, and maybe we all start off this way. It's secondhand faith for us. Our experience of the Lord is really based on what others tell us it's like. You know, we hear preachers say, oh man, it is so great to be in a friendship with God, to enjoy his companionship, to feel his love as he's looking at you and just smiling on you. And you're like, really, does he do that? That's awesome. Others will say, oh, to hear God speak to my heart and nudge me to serve somebody. And you're like, really? You you hear God? Or to feel the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me as I serve the Lord and realize that I'm, I'm living off of his strength in me. And so many people are like, that's so cool. Never experienced it. But I'm intrigued. I mean, I was a secondhand faith guy. For a long time, was that when I was a young man, I kind of had this epiphany that I was riding the coattails of my parents' faith. You know, they believed and they loved the Lord and they were devoted, and I was just kind of going along with it. But I hadn't personally experienced God or come to deep convictions about Him. And there comes a point where you're like, you know what, I'm tired of secondhand faith. Tired of hearing people telling me how awesome it is to know God. If he can be known, I want to know him. I don't want to just believe because others have said it so. I want to experience it for myself. That's what we're talking about today. It's what the shepherds felt. Let me show you. This is uh, Luke 2, verse 15. It says, When the angels had left them, that's the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let me highlight the words see and told. This has already happened. This hasn't happened yet. They've already been told. Jesus, the Messiah, the King of the universe, is born this night in the town of Bethlehem. And so they had heard about it. Now they have to decide, is it important that we see it for ourselves? Did you ever think that they had a decision to make on this point? Uh, The angels, you can go back and read it. The angels never instructed them to go see Jesus. The angels invited them to go see Jesus. You could find him in Bethlehem, lying in a manger. But there is no mandate. And so as a result, and the angels left, the shepherds are left thinking about this situation. They could have gone to bed and said, let's just go to sleep. What a great night it's been. We've been told that the Savior's here and is born, and that's just good enough for me. To know it secondhand and to go to bed is, is great. But that wasn't how they were, was it? They said, I, I got to see it myself. Let's go and see this thing that we've been told about. And I pray that you have that same fire in you, that you're, you're just not content to be told. You must see. I'm praying that, in fact, I, I really long for our whole church to have this restlessness, this hunger for firsthand faith, to say, you know, I, I just, I'm sorry, but being told that this is what God is like is great, but I got to know it in firsthand experience, like Job. Did you know Job was that way? And this is over a thousand years before Jesus. Job, in Job 42, verse 5, he said, My ears had heard of you, God, but now my eyes have seen you. And what Job is acknowledging is that for so long, my faith was second-hand faith. I had just heard of you. But now, (laughs) and through Job, the encounter with God came through deep suffering and a season of hardship. But in that hardship, the upside was that he met God. And he's like, the one that I had been told about for so long, now I know him! I've seen him, and that's what we long for, and that's what the shepherds longed for. And so they decided, I say we go. What about the sheep? Forget the sheep. Let's go. And they went. Let's take a look at verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And so uh, you've heard this verse maybe many times before. It's one of the famous Christmas passages, but I want to highlight something that I'm guessing you've never known. Truthfully, I didn't discover this until my time of study, and it surrounds the word found. Let's highlight that. Found. Uh, You may be aware that the entirety of the New Testament that we enjoy in English is actually a translation from the original Greek language, and the Greek word that's translated found is anurisko, And anurisko is a very unique word. In fact, this Greek word is only found twice in the totality of the New Testament. And you say, wait a minute, I I see the word found in the New Testament quite a bit, or find. You're right. There's another Greek word that's usually the one that's translated found or find. In fact, that other Greek word is found 154 times in the New Testament. Anurisco, only twice. And you say, well, then why did the writer pick a very unique term 
because it's a special kind of finding. Let me tell you, aneurisco means to find after searching diligently. It's that discovery that the that the explorer finds, you know, that eureka, after investing myself in this search, I have finally found. That's what the term means. And so that tells us that these shepherds searched and searched until they found, which isn't a surprise, actually, if you're remembering what the angels said about where they could find Jesus. The angels were very vague. Remember what they told them? You can find him in the town of Bethlehem, your first clue. And your second clue is there'll be a baby lying in a manger. And that was it. I, I believe that God was intentionally vague to send them on a scavenger hunt of sorts, to make them have to search. The town of Bethlehem, scholars say, was around 200 people in a population back then. So a uh, very small town, but yet if you have no more sp- directions than Bethlehem and in a manger of 200 people, that's going to require some searching. And that's what the shepherds had to do. And let's imagine how it went, shall we? I think they probably said, well, uh, let's knock on this door and ask them if they've seen a baby. And, and so they knocked on the door, you know, and the guy's like, what do you want? You know, and he's like, uh, excuse me, we don't mean to bother you, but do you happen to have a newborn baby lying in a manger here? Why would a newborn baby be in an animal feeding trough? I don't know. I'm just asking, you know. That's cruel. Where'd you come up with that? No, I don't have a newborn baby. Who are you looking for? You know, I've been living in Bethlehem all my life. I know everybody. I can direct you to their house. Uh, I'm not sure their name. I just know about them. How do you know about them? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, we are uh, shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over our flocks at night. When suddenly, here's what happened. We saw, I mean, boom, wow. You know what? Forget it. Uh, We're just going to move on to your neighbors and see if they've seen the baby. Thank you for your time. Good night and Merry Christmas. And they moved on to the next house. And it was one awkward conversation after another. But they pressed on. And they wouldn't give up. And eventually, they knocked on the door and, you know, baby, newborn tonight, manger. And a guy said, you know, I think I know who you're looking for. Later, earlier this evening, this couple, and I think she was pregnant, came by and they were looking for a place. I invited them to use my animal shed. I I think they're down there. You may want to check there. And their hearts raced with anticipation as the shepherds approached that shed. And I'm guessing Joseph, being the protector, came out to meet them. And Joseph's like, can I help you? And they said, yeah, uh, we're looking for a newborn baby lying in a manger. And Joseph smiled. Came to the right place. I'm sure Joseph asked, how did you know that? And the shepherds were like, uh... Would you believe an angel told us? And Joseph would have said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I would believe that. My wife and I have been seeing angels ourselves these days. And then the shepherds would have said, well, the angels told us some things about your boy that are amazing. And Joseph said, yeah, I know. Would you like to meet him? 
yeah, we'd like to meet him. And they came in to that place and gazed into the eyes of the king of the universe, the God in human flesh, maybe given the privilege of holding the child. And their search yielded an incredible reward. Friends, the shepherds went after that search with great tenacity. Let me highlight this word, hurried. Did you catch that? Uh, Literally, there are two uh, words there. It, It means they went in haste. I mean, they, they went fast, meaning they were not lethargic as they engaged in this search. They were passionate, wholehearted in their search. Exactly, I might add, what the Lord was wanting. Did you know that? God has always wanted to be wanted, and he has longed to be longed for. And he has always desired people to pursue him passionately. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, it says, God says, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And that's what the shepherds did. They were seeking wholeheartedly. Again, friends, the Lord lined this up. He said, all right, here's what I'm going to tell the shepherds. I'm going to tell them Bethlehem. I'm going to tell them a manger. I'm going to tell them no more. And they're going to have to go after it. You know, this pursuit reveals the priority that we people place on relationship with the Lord. Now, I need to be really clear so you don't misunderstand. To show our eagerness and pursuit of him is not how we're reconciled to God. Salvation or reconciliation with the Lord, becoming a true Christian. You don't need to search. I mean, that can happen in a moment. All you got to do is pray. In prayer, turn to the Lord in faith and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be the forgiver of all my sins. I need you to be the leader of my life. I want to be right with you. And boom, right then and there, as a gift of grace, we find salvation. But once you're right with God, To deepen and build that relationship will take work, search, pursuit. In fact, one of our priorities, in fact, our first priority, we have four of them. The first one is pursue him daily. That's all about prioritizing the development of the relationship. Because all relationships take work, don't they? If you you get married, if you have a wedding and think, now we're going to have a great relationship. No, it doesn't work that way. You've got to prioritize and work at building a relationship, and so it is with God. And so God has always said, if you don't go after me, our relationship's going nowhere. But if you'll search, if you'll pursue, you will find. Those who seek me with all of their heart will find me. And so what does it mean for us to seek him? Obviously for us, it's not knocking on doors asking if there's a baby here. Our pursuit looks a little differently, and when we say pursue him daily, what we're referring to is this curious habit Christians have had for centuries of spending time each day in Bible study and prayer. Some of us, it's 15 minutes, others 20, others half an hour, some even more. And this time with God each day involves a little bit of Bible. For me, I can get caught up in two verses. Like this morning, I was in 1 Thessalonians 5, and I just found two verses that I said, I just got to meditate. That's good stuff. 
And I got to think about that and talk with God about that. I then turn to prayer. I got this prayer journal I open up and I'll write out a few prayers about what I saw in the Bible, about what my family needs, asking for God to bless my family. But friends, this little curious habit of time in the Bible and in prayer every day is it's, it's seeking him. It's saying, I don't want secondhand faith. If I can encounter God and hear him speak to me through his word, I want to I wanna see his face as the shepherds wanted to see Jesus. But I want to be careful that I don't overemphasize this half an hour each morning and make it sound like the only way we seek the Lord is through this sacred half an hour. Friends, it's more than that. In fact, our whole day can be searching for encounter with the Lord. I, I, I saw this infusing search for him through the whole day. I saw it evidenced in a book I was back in this week. Uh, there's this old book. I've read it before. I'm re- rereading it. It's really old. It's actually 400 years old. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God by a Frenchman. It went by Brother Lawrence. He for a time was a soldier and then a servant for a rich family, and then he got a job You'll see here, in the kitchen of a monastery, all right? Let me read. Uh, This book is kind of unique. Part of it is his friends describing what this guy was like. Part of it is Brother Lawrence writing letters to his friends, and it's actually Brother Lawrence's own words. Here, it's his friend describing him. Naturally speaking, his friend said, Brother Lawrence had a great aversion to kitchen duty. And yet he was assigned to labor in the kitchen for 15 years. Can you imagine that? I happen to know that his task was washing dishes, which he hated. Do you like washing dishes? I actually do. Anyways, let's move on. Desiring to make the best of his lot, Brother Lawrence developed the habit of doing his work as a gift of love for God. And with the companionship of God through continual prayer and always dependent on God's grace to do the work well. In this way, he found the labor to be most delightful. Isn't that cool? Did you catch that? Throughout his ordinary day at the the job, you know, washing dishes, this guy found a way to seek God then. And he encountered God in three different ways through this task. The one was he did dishes for God. He says here, as a gift of love. One of the phrases Brother Lawrence used a lot was, I do all for the love of God. In fact, he says, if I pick up a blade of grass off the ground, I do it for the love of God. Meaning, I say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And if I have a sense you want me to wash these dishes, that this is a job you've given me, well, then I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to do it out of obedience for you. It's so cool because in this way, all of life can become worship. Everything we do, if we have a sense that we're doing what God wants, then we can say, well, then I'll do it for you, Lord. And our labor becomes love. Our work becomes worship. And that's what happened here. Not only did he do it for God, he did it with God. Did you catch that? He says, with the companionship of God through continual prayer. You know, the book is called The Practice of the Presence of God because one of the things Brother Lawrence was known for was this desire to be with God all the time. And not just at church, 
wherever he was, whatever he was doing, he's like, Lord, join me. I want to talk to you as I go about this. I've found that drudgery can be transformed to be delightful if I do it with you. And so I want to just talk to you. He did it for God. He did it with God. And then I would add, he did it through God. I mean, through God's power. Did you catch that? He said, always dependent on God's grace to do the work well. It's as if Brother Lawrence said, Lord, I need your help. I I can't stand doing dishes. And so I'm going to need you to help me stay focused, to help me do this excellently. And I want them finding dried up food on the edge of their plate. I want to do my, would you help me be great at this job? And friends, when we're humbly reliant on the Lord in this way, we can experience the dynamic of God's assistance. His Spirit giving us an energy and an excellence, whether we're serving at church or at home. And so Brother Lawrence was just like, I want to go after God. I don't want, Brother Lawrence was a guy who would not tolerate secondhand faith. He's like, I want to live it. I want to see it. I want to experience it. So he invited God, invade my life, Lord. I want my old day to be pursuing you. I want to do it for you and with you and through you. And sure enough, this seeker found. And so can you. So how are you seeking? little time every morning in Bible study and prayer? But beyond that, saying, Lord, I want to work for you and with you and through you. Lord, I want to I hear your voice. Your, the Holy Spirit can give us a thought where he's nudging us to go encourage somebody or serve somebody. Lord, speak to me. I want to encounter you through your Spirit's promptings. I want to encounter you by, you know, having your strength flow through me as I'm boldly inviting people to our Christmas Eve service. You know, I'm scared to death to go up to their house and say, hey, I just want to give you a little flyer. I don't know if you had plans, but if you're interested, you know, we'd love to have you. That scares me, Lord. I'm going to have to have the adrenaline rush of obedience and your courage in me. Let's do it together. That can be an encounter. Friends, there's countless ways that we can seek after God and find him as the shepherds did. So, can I shift now to this last phrase? Uh, The baby who was lying in a manger. There's one more thing we need to draw out of this passage. What did they encounter? They encountered a baby lying in a manger. What does the Bible tell us about what this baby looked like? He looked like a baby lying in a manger. That's all we were told. He was an ordinary baby. Now, religious artists have got this all messed up. If you look at your nativity set, I mean, Jesus looks nothing like a normal baby. I mean, mine at least. He looks to be 50 pounds, for crying out loud. He's like, huge. I mean, I'm like, you just, I look at Mary. She's about this tall, and Jesus is about to say, you just gave birth, you know, no way, you know. Jesus looks four years old with flowing curly hair, you know, and his hands are like this, and has got this halo of glory, you know. And he, that's not what the shepherds found. They found an ordinary baby lying in a manger. And so I would argue that their encounter with Jesus required faith. 
Faith is the ability to see spiritual realities that are invisible to physical eyes. And you say, he didn't need faith. Jesus was there physically. The baby was there. He could, they could see him, yes. They could see an ordinary baby. But to see the fuller realities took faith. The angels had told them that that baby is the savior of the world, the long-promised and awaited Messiah. And the angels had said, he is the Lord in human flesh. Now, they had been told that, but that wasn't visibly evident. So to experience the full encounter with Christ required faith. Faith is the ability to hear what God says is true and believe it even though you can't see it. And friends, if you want firsthand faith, if you want to encounter the Lord himself, it's going to require you to see what God says is true though you can't see it with your physical eyes, just as the shepherds did. You know, for you to be washing the dishes and have a conversation with God, it's going to require faith. I, I love this verse out of the book of Hebrews that talks about the necessity of faith. And it says, anyone who comes to God must have faith. If you want to encounter God, you need faith. Because he has to believe God exists and that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Isn't that a great verse? Hebrews 11.6. If you want to come to God, if you want to encounter God, it's going to require faith. Because God's invisible and you've got to believe he exists and that he will reward those who seek after him. And, and that's so true. You've got you to gotta turn to what the Bible says. You know, you're washing the dishes and say, Lord, I can't see you. But the Bible says you're here. And the Bible says you're looking at me. And the Bible says you're smiling at me and listening to what I say. I, I believe that, God, because it's, some of you are like, how do I know what the Bible says is actually true? Well, good question. Come to Explore God Chicago. We are going to dive into, in that series, how can we know God is real? How can we know the Bible is reliable? How can we know Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God? But for those of us who do have confidence in Scripture as God's revealed Word, when we seek to encounter God, we've got to claim the invisible realities the Bible proclaims. And the Bible says he's there. And he's listening. And he's wanting to be with you. And so as I turn to prayer, I'll just say, God, I can't see you, but I know. <laughs> I know you're here. And I know you love me. And I love you too. And I know you're listening with rapt attention. And so let's talk. And see, this is faith. And faith is like a muscle. You know, just as physical muscles atrophy from lack of use, so faith atrophies. But if you'll use it, it'll grow. And the more you stretch your faith, the more you can quickly engage with the presence of God and hear his voice and sense his love and presence. And so, friends, let's, let's pursue firsthand encounter with the Lord. Let's search as the shepherds did. Let's learn to use faith to maximize the encounter as the shepherds did. And it'll change everything. Everything. Secondhand faith, hearing about what can be enjoyed in God. Yeah, 
That's nice. It's not good enough for me. And I'm praying it's not good enough for any of you. In fact, I would ask you, what do you want this Christmas? Well, what is your Christmas wish list? And I know the kids are like, oh, I'll tell you what I want. And you're thinking toys right away and all those good stuff. Now, I'm praying that your wish list goes beyond the shiny things of this world. I'm praying that you could say with sincerity, you want to know what I want this Christmas? I'll tell you what I want this Christmas. What I want is the Christ child. I want to meet Jesus. I want what the shepherds wanted, to look him in the eyes. I'll tell you what I want. I don't want secondhand faith anymore. I want in the next few days, in the next couple of weeks, this Christmas celebration, I want to go after him. I want to open my Bible. I want to open my prayer journal. I want to focus in songs we sing. I want to lean in in the car and recognize his prayer. The, the next few weeks, I want to have an encounter with the living God that makes my heart race and my spirit soar. That's what I want. That's what this life's about. Not the stuff, the gifts, but the person of Christmas. I want first-hand encounter with Jesus. And I pray you want it, and I pray you search it for it, and I'm confident if you do, you'll find. And I just pray increasingly, we at the Compass Church, we're just like those shepherds. We're like, get out of my way. I'm on a quest. I got a fire, and it's not a fire for the shiny things of this world. It's the fire for God himself. And I'm not going to be passive and inactive. No, I'm going after him because I know that's what he wants. God has made it so that seekers find, and I'm a seeker. And I pray that as a church, you know, that group of shepherds, they were a community in pursuit. And with you, I want to be at all four of our campuses, a community in pursuit of more of God. Shall we pray? Lord, Oh, I feel it. This Christmas, I want you. We want you. Lord, we are so sick and tired of just spending uh, time hearing others describe how great you are and how your love's amazing. It's enough to hear it. We want to experience it. And so, Lord, we're coming after you. We will take tangible steps this day, even in... uh, the rest of the service, we want to seek your face. And Lord, would you bless and reward. We believe you are true to your promise that seekers will be finders. And so we're in hot pursuit of the God we love. Can't wait to find you. In Jesus' name, amen.